0: go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment that's cloudoptimizer.com here you go In you go yeah.
1: megalomaniac you know that word? Megalomaniac is the nothing personal word of the day. Today is Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. I want to define megalomaniac for you. A megalomaniac is a pathological egoist. That is someone with a psychological disorder with symptoms like delusions of grandeur and an obsession with power. Do you like that? We can also use the word megalomaniac more informally for people who behave as if they're convinced of their absolute power and greatness. Your garden variety egomaniac might be self-centered, okay, and overconfident, definitely, but a little softy compared with the megalomaniac who wants to control the world. I'm not talking about me. I'm an egomaniac, I would say. I'm not a megalomaniac. Roger Goodell is a megalomaniac. I would assume he would acknowledge that fact. I don't know that being a megalomaniac is necessarily a negative. I don't know that I would use that in the pejorative sense. I don't think it's great. A megalomaniac narcissist. How about that? A mega narcissist. God, I've been accused of being so many things. I think I have narcissistic tendencies, actually. I, I took one of those tests one time to see whether I was a sociopath, and I came like one or two traits away. So I'm, cl- I'm in the clear, but it was a little closer than I would have expected. I think it all comes from not being that emotional and having confidence and knowing what you want, and knowing how to get what you want, and then getting what you want enough times that you continue to believe that every time you want something, you're going to get it, but yet you work hard enough to make sure that what you want, you get. I mean, we're not even in the neighborhood of megalomania. The NFL came out with something yesterday that struck a chord with me, and I know CBS does not like it when I talk about the NFL or go after the NFL or Roger Goodell don't bite the hand that feeds. But of course I have a different view, which is CBS should run the NFL, not be scared of it. CBS pays the NFL so much money. The NFL should be kissing its ass along with all of its other broadcast partners, which is what makes the asset value of all those NFL teams so high. So CBS then must think that if I say that Roger Goodell is a megalomaniac, that you are not going to watch football. Horse hockey. Of course, you're going to watch football and play fantasy football and gamble on football, but you're going to learn something and talk about things and try to understand what goes into the decision making process of someone like Roger Goodell. They made an announcement yesterday that has gotten quite a bit of attention from those of us in the media. Of course, I don't care as much as people who do interviews in the clubhouse or in the locker room, people who want to be a part of disseminating information to readers, to get clicks, to get followers, to get imprints. Is it an imprint? I can't remember if it's called an imprint. Hey, by the way, side note, somebody sent me a DM on David P. Samson, Twitter, saying that they were very distracted by all the conversations I would have with you, Coca, with you talking in my ear because they felt like they were being left out that they didn't really hear what you were saying to me, yet I would talk to you and they feel like they were voyeurs into a conversation that they shouldn't be a part of. And my response is, I want everyone to be a part of what I do with Coca every day and the way he's in my ear every day, which is why I talk to you when he's yelling at me, which is why I talk to you when he doesn't talk to me or when he's ignoring me or when he gives me some information that I need during the course of a show or he comes up with an idea or a topic or a thought or a breaking news, because that is the genesis of live podcasting, which is what we do. But it's not live because you're not listening to it as I'm doing it, but I'm doing it and then you're going to listen to it and it's not going to change. That's the beauty of nothing personal. We certainly don't spend a week editing each show. That would be insane. We give you 45 minutes a day. So to all of you who don't either believe Coca's real, he is, or get bothered because I talk to Coco all the time and banter with him and interact with him. That's me. That's him. That's showbiz, baby. So the NFL released a memo yesterday informing clubs that effective immediately, like today, locker room access while players are present will be limited to 50 people. Okay, that's 50 people. That includes everybody. That includes family, friends, anybody. And no media. Very reasonable. It's covid time. Closing the locker room to media is something that happened during covid. And I was totally fine with that as an executive, as a member of the media. I'm not fine with that. We never wanted the media in the locker room because it's just a pain in the neck. Players can't do what they want to do. They don't really like walking around naked. Some of them do like walking around naked when media is there. There's always concerns I have when people are in the locker room, what's going to be said, telling the players all the time that you're being taped. It used to be that when someone had a camera, you knew it because they had that huge camera on their shoulder, that big TV camera that they carry with them into the clubhouse. Now everybody's camera is the size of a phone. You can record without someone knowing it. There's no big red light on the camera. So everything's on the record. Every angle. We put signs in the clubhouse of where media is not allowed. We don't let them in the food room. They're not in the training room. They're not in the shower. There's an area. And we actually built the locker room with that in mind. We designed the clubhouse at Marlins Park, now called um, MLB Sponsor Park. And we did it because we wanted to protect the players as much as possible. If I could have had no media in the clubhouse as the team president, I would have done that. Now, of course, I recognize the importance of it, but it's definitely diminished over time. It used to be that we needed media to get our information out we needed the beat writers. We needed national media to get national attention. We needed the beat writers, which are local writers for local papers and local radio stations to talk up our team so we could get people to come to games, buy tickets, care, and go through the pipeline of fandom that I've talked about and Nothing Personal. But that was before social media. That was before we as a team had any way of getting information out there. And of course, starting in 2000, when MLB.com started, that was the beginning of trying to control the narrative. But like MLB.com, which is not the go-to place for any news of any kind, because MLB.com is a bunch of homers. And when there's anything critical about the league or the team, you have to go so deep into their feed. Sometimes it doesn't exist at all. The biggest criticism of MLB.com, of course, is that owners, presidents, and GMs don't read MLB.com. They go to CBS or ESPN or Yahoo to get their information. But one of the things that the owners like about MLB.com is that they can control and they can make sure that there's one outlet that's not going to say anything negative. So in the NFL... There are national writers, of course, there are local writers as well, but as time has passed and technology has changed and social media has started, each team has a social media department, not just a person, it used to be a person and then it grew to two people and then it became a department with actual reporting from different levels in a social media department. And your social media department became your main way of communicating with your fans. Because forget the over 60 set who's not on social media. You're not really concerned with them. You're trying to get younger. You're trying to appeal to the millennials, the generation Qs or whatever everyone else is called. QRs or something. Or is that the code? I think it's the code. You know the thing when you go to a restaurant now, you have to take a picture of so you can get the damn menu. And if you don't have internet, you're screwed. So then you have to get the Wi-Fi password and then they give you the password. You can't remember the password. So then you don't know, is it capital? Is it all small? Is it it letters, numbers? And then you get the menu and then you have to order from the menu. And then you have to show other people your phone who don't have the right phone to take the picture of the scanned code. That drives me insane. Give me a menu, FFS. So the NFL well, the team started social media companies. So the NFL announces no media in the clubhouse. Fine. I'm in. Stop the statement right there. Stop the memo right there. Uh-oh. They kept going. Unless this is the best. When you put unless into a statement, that's exciting, right? In a memo, you sort of set up the rules. This is the rule. It's a blanket rule. Now we're going to give you the exceptions. You may never do this unless, and here it is, quote, members of the media are club affiliated. OMG. That's the equivalent of MLB closing the clubhouse to everybody except the MLB.com writers. The NFL has closed their clubhouses to all members of the media unless you work for a team. And guess who works for a team? People who are told what information they can give out from above, not just their ownership level, but at the league level. This is the definition of megalomania as I see it as a former team executive. When you want to control the information flow, the dissemination of information, what gets said to who and when, and you get to use COVID-19 and the death of a million people as your sword instead of your shield to further control your narrative, you are a megalomaniac. Shame on you, NFL. If I were the national media, and this includes you, CBS, when you send Melanie Collins or Evan Washburn or your other Tracy Wolfson, all of your sideline reporters who want need, need and should be able to get into the clubhouse and they're not allowed, you know what you should do? No, you can't do it because you have so much invested. You've got to make it interesting to the fans. But now fans aren't going to get the insight that media gets when you're inside a clubhouse. Outrageous. Coco, why are you telling me about Generation Z? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. Are you Generation Z? Am I doing it again, talking to you, and no one can hear you talking back to me? All right, I'm going to move on. All right, Coca, someone asked us a question. You know what I want. (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. If you're new to nothing personal, and numbers say that many of you are, so thank you. Thank you for downloading, rating, reviewing. Coca wants to get to 2,000 reviews. He won't tell me why it matters, but on Apple if you write a review, it counts for something towards some algorithm that I'm a pretty educated guy. I don't understand the algorithms that are used to rank or to do all the other things that I'm obsessed with. That said, please go and rate and review on Apple. You can ask questions in the review and I'll do another mailbag episode at some point. Download, follow, tell your friends but this is a segment that comes from a movie called Half Baked. Half Baked is a movie about getting stoned. Dave Chappelle's in it. There's a character in it named Samson. And everyone wants to talk to Samson. Why? Because he's got the kush. He's got the pineapple express. Everybody wants to talk to Samson. So ask a question on Twitter at David P. Samson. You can follow me because I have fun getting in trouble with Coca and CBS and everyone else over things that I tweet and ask a question. And here's the question you asked, and it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. Ready? Can you please explain the lawsuit between New York Knicks player, Nerlens Noel and his agent, Rich Paul of clutch sports. Thank you for asking. I would like to explain this because this is a big story. You may never have heard of any of these people. That's funny actually. Can there be a big story about a subject whose participants you've never heard of? Is it a bigger story that Ben Affleck is going to engage in ring shopping for Jayla? So Benifer is going to become a thing after she's done with Bayrod or is it Jrod? I think this is a much bigger story. Rich Paul is a name you should have heard of. Rich Paul was made famous because he befriended LeBron James. He became in LeBron James's circle, became LeBron James's agent. LeBron James's consigliere. And then he wanted more. So he started an agency called Clutch Sports. Clutch with a K. Clutch Sports. Signed a bunch of players. Good players. Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons. I think they have Trey Young. They really do have a, a bunch of good players. He's become a huge John Wall. Thank you, Coca. Lonzo Ball. Draymond Glean. <laughs> They've got a lot of players. Rich Paul wanted to be the Scott Boris of basketball. And what's interesting is that he may become the Scott Boris of basketball. And there is a lawsuit that indicates to me he is well on his way. What's the backstory? When you are an agent... You get players two ways, one by word of mouth, meaning you've got a player already, LeBron James, who goes up to another player, Ben Simmons, and says, hey, Ben, I've got a better agent for you than you have. Come be represented by Rich Paul. Then LeBron James gets a little stupey, like a referral fee, just a tiny little something, something. Maybe it's a car or a boat or something else. And then that player signs. Or the agent himself meets the player when he's down in the outside the clubhouse after every game, when he's in the team hotel, the team bar, when he goes out with his player and the player's friends and they start talking. And the agent says, I got a question. Are you being taken care of? Do you feel as though you are making as much money as you could be making because I can make you more? Just get rid of your agent and come to me. It's called poaching. Poaching is the biggest disease that that disease infested industry has. That is called agency. If you ask agents what they despise most about their business, it is poaching. And if you ask agents, what is the one thing that they all do? It's called poaching. Baseball is a nightmare in that regard because you don't get paid as an agent a lot of money until your player makes arbitration and you start with that player when he's 18 years old in most cases, sometimes younger. Don't tell anyone, sometimes way younger. You've got to invest in that player. You've got to buy that player equipment. You've got to help that player become a man, teach that player all sorts of things, get him cleats and all sorts of other crap, and then hope that he's going to make it. And then he makes it to arbitration. You get 5% of a couple million dollars. And eventually, hopefully one of your guys signs a big long-term guaranteed contract. There are players who have left their agents right before they sign a contract. There are players who have left their agents right before they go into arbitration. Why? Because they are promised love, attention, and above all money. It is the three-legged stool that agents use to poach love, attention. And the middle leg, the biggest, most important, more money. So New Orleans Noel was at a birthday party for Ben Simmons. And of course, Rich Paul said, this is an opportunity. Because of course, he has to go because that's his player. So he goes to the birthday party. He sees Noel. Noel's about to sign a four-year, $70 million Contract with the Dallas Mavericks. And Rich Paul says, Wait, stop in the name of love. Don't go breaking your heart because I'm going to try for you. And what I'm going to do for you is get you a max deal. Everyone gets max deals in the NBA. Why should you be left out? So Noel said, Really? That's amazing. Thank you. All right, I'm going to switch agents. He leaves his longtime agent, Happy Gilmore, and he joins Clutch Sports. There's no way that Happy Gilmore just came out of my mouth, Coca, because that's not the name of his old age. Happy Gilmore is the production company uh, or the movie with Adam Sandler. It's Happy Somebody. Is, could it be Happy Walter? I don't know why that's in my mind. Happy Walters. Hell yeah, Coca. I was one S away on a random Wednesday morning, not terrible. He calls up happy and says, Hey, happy. I'm not happy because you don't give me enough love and attention. And on top of that, I'm going to make more money. So here I go. He joins rich Paul and the Paul He ends up not getting a contract. He signs a one-year deal, hoping to get the maximum the next year. gets hurt, ineffective, ends up signing another one-year deal. Yada, yada, yada. He never gets paid. Rich Paul, who likes Scott Boris, spends a lot of time with players who can make him the most money. And once those players get hurt or become ineffective, all of a sudden passes off the player to his minions. Noel is claiming that I could never get a return phone call from Rich Paul. He wouldn't even talk to me no more don't come around here no more. Is that what you're looking for? Stop. That's what Asians say when they realize that they cannot get a return on the investment. So Noel says, I don't understand why I can't get in touch, but because I'm missing offers. What does that mean? Noel got word that teams wanted to sign him, but they couldn't reach the agent. Therefore, they moved in a different direction, and didn't sign him. Do you know what happened if we couldn't reach a baseball player's agent who we really wanted to sign? Do you want to know what we would do? Ready? Wait for it. Everyone sit down. Everyone breathe. We'd call the player directly. <gasps> no way. You're telling me that No team could find Noel only through, but for reaching Rich Paul. All these other teams with all these great executives, Daryl Morey couldn't figure out how to reach Noel directly when he couldn't reach Rich Paul. They said, you know what? We're not going to sign our guy. We really wanted him, but we're not going to sign him now because Paul won't answer the phone. It doesn't work that way. You can reach a player. I can get the cell phone to every player in Major League Baseball, boom, within three degrees. Someone in our clubhouse has the number of someone who has the number of everyone. Two degrees. Is that two degrees? Two degrees it would take to get the cell phone of every single player in Major League Baseball. Maybe some of the young guys, three degrees at most. So Noel is saying, this is terrible. I can't get my agent to return my call. Above that, he's not even returning the calls of teams who want me. And now I'm stuck signing these piddly deals. Noel is claiming he lost like $58 million in salary over the years. So he is suing for breach of fiduciary duty and negligence. But do you know how this all started? That's the beautiful thing about agents. And this is why, Rich Paul, you win the I'm About to Be Scott Boris Award. Scott Boris, the same guy who sent notification to the estate of Jose Fernandez to get his commission on Jose's last deal, which was a one-year because you wouldn't let him sign long-term. And then he died and his family has not a penny. And I saw the document, so you can't deny it. Rich Paul calls up Noel and says, hey, where's my commission on that crappy deal that I did for you? You owe me 200 grand. And Noel said, 200 grand? Screw you. I'm not paying you a dime. You won't even take my call. So Rich Paul said, OK, I'm going to file a grievance against you. And Noel said, oh, my God, I'm so scared. You're going to file a grievance. Where are you going to file that grievance, Rich? And Rich said, where I have to with the National Basketball Players Association. And Noel said, I'm so nervous. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna sue you in federal court. Good luck. How does this end, you wanna know? There's no negligence that he's gonna be able to prove in a court of law. There's no breach of fiduciary duty. There is simply the knowledge that Noel got snook it. There's no law against getting snookered. People get manipulated every day, twice on Tuesdays. People get manipulated because they want to believe what they're told because people are so desperate to believe there's something they're not. And when you are told by someone that you are a max player, that's not actionable. Rich Paul may believe you're a max player. He may have dreamt you're a max player. He may not have even believed you're a max player. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Doesn't take your calls. Hmm. Does that rise to the level of breach of fiduciary duty? No, thank you. GMAB, Mr. Noel. I like where your head's at, but this ends with you paying 200 grand to rich and not getting one dollar. Wait to see. I don't think that's the official way to see it today. Is it? Oh, no. We've got a different one. That's a special way to see. That's a long-term one. Coca at it. It's too good. Rich Paul will not have to pay Noel a dollar in this lawsuit against him. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what's going to happen. When we come back, we're going to review a show that you asked me to watch that Coca won't watch, but I watched. And it is worthy of a conversation And then we're going to talk about why in the name of holy Christmas did I think the Orioles would ever win a game again. We'll be right back.
0: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at bioptimizers.com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Matthew Koch and I bring you 45 minutes a day, every day, even when I'm away. Thank you for listening to all those mailbag episodes and the sit down that we did. I am with Billy Corbin. I think we're going to have another sit down coming this week. If all works out, are you, can you imagine how cool this could be? If all works out at the end of this week, today is, um, today is August 25th, 2021. It is a Thursday. If all works out tomorrow, you're going to hear from doctor, it's Wednesday. Sorry. If all works, stop that. Okay. Go back. 90, 80, 69. If all works out in two days, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, August 25th, you're going to hear from Julius Irving. I think it's going to happen. A Samson sit down with the doctor. If you don't know who Julius Irving is, listen to the show. If you know who Julia Serving is, listen to the show. If I don't do it, then still listen to Friday's show because we're going to do a show anyway. So I watched a movie that you told me to watch. I get all these great suggestions from you, so keep them coming. I watched the untold story Malice in the Palace. Coco won't watch it because he's got a friend who was there or worked there or was there or is there. Or maybe his friend is run or test. I'm not sure what the situation is. Either way, he said, I don't need to watch because I'm not going to learn anything new. I was a huge fan in the NBA when the malice in the palace happened. That is the biggest brawl that's ever taken place, in my opinion, at a sporting event. People could argue that bigger brawls have taken place at football games over in Europe and uh, in the stands at Yankee Stadium and the blue seats at the garden. What happened that fateful day in 19. 19- Oh, God. I he, he prepared for this pre-show 2004. Thank you. So 17 years ago, there was a game between the Detroit Pistons and the Indiana Pacers in the Palace at Auburn Hills, which is in Detroit. And there is a lot of backstory between the Pacers and the Pistons, but they were rivals. This was close to Reggie Miller's last season. He had a good chance of winning a title that season. They were trying to get through Detroit and... They had players like Jermaine O'Neal, who was a good player. They had Jackson, and they had Meta World Peace, who at that time was known as Runner Test. Coached by Rick Carlisle, who is still well known. And the game is going on. And toward the end of the game, it's a blowout. The Pacers were made a statement in the regular season. It was a November game. They're beating the Pistons. All of a sudden, runner test. Fouls Ben Wallace, who is a a the reigning champion and defensive player of the year, whatever the case may be. And Ben Wallace took exception to it. There was pushing and shoving. Ron Artest, you learn in this documentary, has some anger management issues and had been counseled in therapy to take a breath. Let things calm. Don't do anything before counting to five. So he lies down on the scores table, counts to five, and then out of nowhere, someone throws from the stands a beer bottle, a plastic bottle or a cup that hits our test in the face. Our test goes into the stands famously and starts beating up a fan who, in theory, threw the cup. That led to Jermaine O'Neal coming to run our test's Assistance. And it led to the one thing that we tell our players, no matter what is said to you, no matter what name you're called, no matter what item is thrown, a battery. People throw batteries, if you can believe that. There's no jail. Worse. Circumstance bad enough for someone who throws a battery at a player or anything at a player. In my opinion, you deserve to be violated every day for 20 years, but no matter what a fan does, you may not go into the stands, period. As a president of a team, I have spoken to my players over the years and talked about that very thing because fans have cyber courage. That's new, where they'll say something online that is so obscene but they're protected by a screen and fans in the stands will say things that are not original or funny. Not like when I used to heckle, which I used to love to do, but I would never name call or throw anything. I would just comment on the reality of how bad a player was, but there are heckles that go on and there are comments that are said that are so offensive, that are so wrong that players want to beat the crap out of those fans. And we would say, listen, I get it. Believe me. But when you go into the stands, you are no longer a player. You are subject to civil rules and laws. Of course, you're subject to that on the field of play. Just ask that hockey player who did the assault on the, on the stand on the, on the other hockey player. But I would always just not confuse the issue and tell players, you become a fan when you go into the stands. And the last thing you want to be is a fan. And the reason you don't want to be a fan is because other fans will not treat you like a fan. They will treat you like a player, and you are not going to react well. You do not want to be in the middle of any sort of altercation with fans ever. So the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers were part of this malice at the Palace, and they did a documentary talking about, well, there was more to it than that. And during the hour and nine minutes, I learned so much more than I had about what was going on, why the Pacers did what they did, what the ramifications were that season and in seasons going forward, what happened to Ron Artest after that, what happened to the Pacers and Jermaine O'Neal and Reggie Miller, et cetera. And I didn't focus on any of that during Malice at the Palace real time, but I got to focus on it all when you watch the hour. So I want you to watch the hour because you're going to learn something. But I want you to think about from a team's perspective. As a president, I tell you that what Ron Artest did is inexcusable. What Jermaine O'Neal did, Stephen Jackson, all of those players. You cannot, and the reason the suspensions were so great, handed out by David Stern. One of the great lines of the documentary that I'm going to spoil is someone asked, What was the final vote to suspend Ron Artest for the rest of the season? And David Stern looked into the camera and said, one, nothing. That's the power of a commissioner. The commissioner was trying to save the NBA from, it was a nightmare. It made national news. It was the lead story on the national network. You just don't want that. And I was in the game at that time and I remember watching that and not understanding. I'd only been in the game for five years at that time. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, that is not ever going to be my team. And we would talk about it with players that was, you know, off season. I think this happened in November, which would have been an off season right before the 05 season. And so by the time spring training starts, it's months ago and it comes up just once in a while. But I remember that off season talking about it and just saying, we want to protect against that. We need security. We want to make sure that our players don't do that. But spring training of 05, it became one of the things that I would talk about For the rest of my spring trainings, when meeting with the team, talking about interacting with fans, interacting with police, interactions in general, and how players are targets and how players have to, they have to take the high road. And some of you would say it's not necessary. Why should players be subject to that sort of anger, that sort of prejudice, that sort of racism, and just have to take it and say, Thank you, may I have another? And you're right. Why should they have to? but they do. And the reason they do is that there's a combination that you don't want when you are responding to a racist or a heckler or a meddler. You don't want to be big, strong, and rich. Just keep that in mind. Nothing personal. Pick of the day. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize for yesterday's pick. I thought the Angels were going to break their 18 game losing streak. I now believe the Orioles will not win another game ever. The Angels crushed them 28 to zero. No, no, it was 45 to two, I think was the final. The game was over in the second inning. I went on HQ yesterday, had to give six picks. I went 5 and 1. That's because the Yankees beat the Braves. I'm sorry, we're 107 and 91. The Orioles lost to the Angels. I want to talk about right now the Dodgers padres series because CBS Sports HQ, which you should check out, it's free, CBS slash live. There's some great anchors, great analysts on there, great producers. It's a great network led by a great man. Hello, Port. Salary Drive. For coca licious What were we talking about? Oh, the fact that I went five and one picking six games, and I didn't pick the Orioles to beat the Angels on CBS. I only picked it with nothing, my nothing personal pick of the day. So we're 107 and 91. One of the games I chose, and it was an easy one, was the Dodgers over the Padres. The Padres had their new pitching coach, which means they're good to go. They're ready to win. This was supposed to be a huge series for the Padres Dodgers. The biggest and best rivalry was built up by everyone in the media. This is the rivalry in sports. (sniffs) Dodgers-Padres. It's a nothing rivalry. The Padres absolutely stink. I'm so sorry to say that you've known that all along, haven't you? Well, guess what? Ferris Bueller faces Blake Snell tonight in game two of a series. And guess what? Bueller's having a Cy Young-like season. Do you remember we have a wait to see from a long time ago, Coca, that Bueller would have a better season than Bauer? I think we're going to win that one. (laughs) Having nothing to do with the fact that Bauer is done. So I've already won because Bueller's had a better season. The reality is Walker Bueller is a better pitcher than Trevor Bauer. Walker Bueller is the best pitcher on a team that has Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, David Price, I don't even mention TB's name anymore. The Padres have to win tonight or they're going to get swept because they got Scherzer tomorrow, but they got Bueller today. And by the way, Blake Snell, as we said yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago, when the Rays offer you a pitcher, you say no. Dodgers over the Padres. Okay. The Cardinals made some news yesterday. St. Louis Cardinals. They're run by a uh, by a good guy. The owner is a guy named Bill DeWitt. He runs it with his son, who's the team president named Bill DeWitt. One's a junior, one's a third, or one's a third and a junior, a senior, a junior, but there can't be a senior without it. I don't know. There's two Bill DeWitts and they're both good good people. The Cardinals have been hugely successful multiple World Series, they were willing to let Pujols go and ended up being right. They're difficult to work with because we were partners with them in spring training, but that was mostly because of Tony La Russa. The DeWitts never really paid attention to spring training. Although Bill DeWitt used to fly a helicopter in Jupiter. And he would take his helicopter and land it on the back fields of our complex. And we'd be doing workouts and I'd be out there and I'd have like a clipboard and my phone pretending I'm watching players and knowing what I'm looking at. And, oh, yeah, that guy's good. Who's that? Oh, that's Miguel Cabrera. That's one of your that's one of your best prospects. He's going to be up there. Oh, yeah. Look at him. That's my first saw Carlos Stanton, actually. Of course, I knew we drafted him and I was told that, you know, he could play football. He may not. We're going to have to overpay him a little bit in the second round or whatever. And then you go the first spring training where he's on the minor league side and everyone says, go look at that. Go look at Stanton. It was Mike Stanton at that time. You got to go look at him. Look at that body. Look at that power. Look at that swing. Oh, my God. And I'd stand there saying, oh, that's that's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. And then, hey, DeWitt's here. And I'd go to our owner, Jeffrey hey, did you ever think about taking a helicopter from your place in Jupiter? And he'd laugh and say, no, I'll drive right down PGA Boulevard. So the Cardinals are good. They've won a bunch of World Series. They signed Yadi Molina to a one-year $10 million contract yesterday, an extension. There was a lot of talk. And you know, as a nothing personal veteran, my view of pillow contracts, you know, as a nothing personal veteran, that it is way better to pay someone to go away versus paying them to stay. It is way better to allow your superstar Hall of Fame player to leave than it is to keep him playing and paying him when he is no longer worthy of the pay. The Cardinals are giving Molina $10 million for a year. Molina is a Hall of Famer. Molina is one of the top, hmm, pudge, bench, Fisk I'm going to go, Molina's in the top five all-time catchers. With J.T. Realmudo having a chance to end up in the top five, but not there yet. I don't know if I'm missing anyone because I'm doing this off the top of my head, but those are, those are where my thoughts are, with Pudge and Carlton Fisk and I forgot who the th- and Yadi Molina. And, uh, Coke is yelling at me. All right. I'm stopping the show. I will tell the, I, I'll tell everyone what you're saying. Okay. In all, and this is, so, you know, that he talks in the ear and he writes on this document. We have a living document where I have an outline of what I'm going to talk about. And then Coca can say, okay, stop. Or he'll yell to me, shut up the show's over. Whatever he says. He just said, JT has no chance. What does he know? He's trying to tell me that Joe Mauer is a top five all-time catcher. Yogi Berra is a top five all-time catcher. Mike Piazza, maybe Buster Posey. No, maybe Posey. Maybe, but I don't think so. In any case, Yadier Molina gets $10 million from the Cardinals. The Cardinals are run by John Maziliak, who is their general manager, president of baseball operations. And the Cardinals have a problem. They have a problem because they were supposed to win their division, And they're not going to. They were supposed to make the playoffs and they're not going to. And they've been struggling a little bit because they have an ace named Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty is a 25 year old Cy Young candidate who is supposed to lead their rotation and has had a season of injuries, which is normal because we told you these pitchers were going to get injured because they were going from 60 games to 162 games. And that simply doesn't work. That's why the proliferation of injuries has been so significant. So Jack Flaherty comes back off the injured list. And there was a thought, because he had two good starts, that he was going to help the Cardinals, who were four and a half games back of the wild card, and that they were going to overcome their early season malaise and make the playoffs. Well, Jack Flaherty left yesterday's game after two innings with shoulder tightness. That's it. Jack Flaherty's done. the Cardinals are done. So they decided they needed to announce the same day something good. And the fans were certainly happy that Molina is coming back for 10 million. It doesn't mean the Cardinals are going to be a better team next year with Molina. And it also means that Flaherty, you have wasted another year of his young prime. So here's my surprise for you. Jack Flaherty will not pitch again this season. I'm going to make that another wait to see. Because when you are at this time of the year, I hated in late August getting calls from the trainer about any sort of pitching injury, any sort of IL stint by a pitcher at this time of year is generally a season ending injury. Because if you have to shut a guy down for two weeks and then start him up again, like Jacob DeGrom with the Mets is a great example. He's not going to throw again. He's not eligible to come off the IL until September 13th. You think the Mets are going to take the chance to bring DeGrom back on September 13th and let him pitch for two weeks when the Mets are ready out of it? It's not going to happen. DeGrom's done for the season. Flaherty with his shoulder, they're not going to take the chance of having him come back and pitch a major league game when they're not in the race, which they're not going to be. So it's sort of an easy way to see that he's out for the season. Position players were different when they had little hamstrings or little, well, hamstrings are not a great example because those can last forever in a day, but just a little something and they're out in August. They could come back in September, a little broken hammock bone. You could miss 30 days and come back. So there's still ways for position players, but pitchers, it was always a total nightmare, a malrev and the Cardinals are just the latest team to have that. Okay. I wanted to talk to you about the college football alliance that took place because I was fascinated by it. We don't have time today, but I'm going to tease that for another show like tomorrow. The ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 have formed an alliance, and I want to talk about why they did and what it means for college sports going forward and whether or not this is a real alliance or if it's done to spite that SEC conference. Wait to see how that conversation goes. That's nothing personal for today. Remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal.